Hi, I'm Jen Guitart from the California Bicycle Coalition, and this is the Bike Talk CalBike Report. CalBike advocates for better biking at the state level in California. Here's our latest. Let's start with some good news. CalBike's $10 million e-bike affordability program has been fully funded. This is a major victory for Californians who want to use bicycles for everyday transportation. Now CalBike and other advocates are working with the California Air Resources Board to design the program. The affordability program will give grants to as many as 10,000 Californians to help them buy e-bikes starting in July 2022. That's a tight turnaround for the CARB staff, but they are working hard to make this vital program a reality and CalBike is supporting them to ensure that the program distributes e-bike grants equitably. Also at the state level, CalBike strongly endorses a no vote in the recall election. Governor Newsom is not perfect, but he is pro-bike. We believe a recall will have a negative impact on people who ride bikes. Let's not trade Newsom for gruesome. Please return your ballot by September 14th. Turning our focus to regional bike campaigns, the Sunset for All campaign in Los Angeles models an interesting strategy that other local organizations may want to copy. Sunset for All and the Los Angeles County Bicycle Coalition are planning a two-way parking-separated bikeway on Sunset Boulevard. Sunset is an essential connector for East Hollywood, Silver Lake, and Echo Park. The impressive progress on this visionary project is the result of dedicated community organizing, and Sunset for All was helped along by an unusual strategy to convince the city to consider it, crowdfunding for the engineering plans. CalBike feels it shouldn't be a public responsibility to hire engineers to propose plans for projects like this. However, if that's what it takes to get past official inertia, it's worth it. Attention bike activists. CalBike will hold its biannual California Bicycle Summit in April of 2022 in Oakland. We have three virtual meetings scheduled in advance of the summit. On October 12, 2021, we'll hear from the authors of Cycling for Sustainable Cities. They will share about how to make city cycling safe, practical, and convenient for all. The October Symposium will also address what we can learn from cycling cities in Latin America and how cities have adapted to COVID. Visit calbike.org summit to register. Let's talk for a minute about walking in California. The topic CalBike gets the most questions about these days is Assembly Bill 1238. The Freedom to Walk Act will decriminalize jaywalking. Here are answers to our most frequently asked questions. Why is a bicycling organization supporting a bill about walking? CalBike is committed to creating neighborhoods where everyone can safely get around by bike, on foot, or on transit. So we partnered with our allies at California Walks and Los Angeles Walks to sponsor the Freedom to Walk Act. We believe it will make our communities better places for everyone who uses active transportation. Won't legalizing jaywalking cause chaos in our streets? No, jaywalking laws don't stop people from jaywalking now. Common sense does. If the Freedom to Walk Act becomes law, it will still be illegal to obstruct cars or dash out into traffic. But most people will continue to do what they already do, look both ways and cross the street when it's safe, regardless of jaywalking laws. Why is it important to decriminalize jaywalking? Jaywalking laws are selectively enforced against black Californians. The fines that accompany jaywalking tickets fall heavily on our poorest residents. And many of the people who get cited for jaywalking live in neighborhoods without good pedestrian infrastructure. Most people who cross mid-block or against the light are making their best choices to get around. Will the Freedom to Walk Act make streets less safe, especially for seniors and kids? No, in fact, removing jaywalking laws will make it safer for pedestrians, especially black, brown, and low-income pedestrians, by ending unnecessary police encounters that can lead to police brutality. 
As for young people, California empowers teenagers to make complex decisions. If we can trust them to drive, we can trust teenagers to know when crossing the road will cause an immediate hazard. And seniors are just as rational and logical as any other adult. Regardless of the Freedom to Walk Act, seniors will choose to cross the street only when they conclude that it is safe for them to do so. What about the revenue from jaywalking tickets? Jaywalking fines and fees are difficult to collect, so they aren't a significant source of revenue. Plus, jaywalking citations are disproportionately distributed in low-income neighborhoods. In Bakersfield, for example, only 17% of census tracts have a median income below 37,000. Yet 92% of jaywalking citations were issued in these low-income tracts. And generating revenue should never be a reason for enforcing laws. Public safety should. Would you like to stay informed about our advocacy for California bicyclists? CalBike needs you. Visit calbike.org and sign up to get updates. And while you're there, join the California Dream Ride to support our work and join our fun rides. Welcome to Bike Talk. I'm Lindsay Sturman, and we have today Dr. Niels Van Oort. He is the co-director of the Smart Public Transport Lab of Delft University of Technology in the Netherlands, and they educate transport engineers and do research in close cooperation with the industry of how public transportation works, both demand and supply to gain insights and how to improve it. So welcome, Niels. Thank you, Lindsay. Excited to be here. So we have so many questions, but the first one I'd love to hear about is how do you see public transportation and bikes working together? Yes, I think there's a lot to gain in this area. Because it's great to have a good public transport network. It's also great to have a good cycling system in your city or region. But if you really integrate those systems, I think you can really maximize all the societal benefits, I would say. Uh, let's think about the climate. Let's think about efficient space use and accessibility and sustainability. But one thing where I'm mostly interested in as a public transport researcher is that if we incorporate cycling into our public transport designs, providing good access and egress from and to the stops of public transport, we can actually improve our level of service of public transport. We can actually improve the efficiency of public transport systems, thereby improving the door-to-door level of service for passengers, while actually improving revenues by attracting more passengers and also saving due to increased efficiency. And with these savings, uh, frequencies could be increased, for instance, which gives us an upcycle to even improve level of service more, attract more passengers. So cycling is relevant in multiple ways for public transport designers and not in the last place for the public transport efficiency itself. Wow. So you're basically saying it creates a virtuous cycle when you combine bikes and transit. Yes, that's actually also what we see in our country, also in other countries. If people start to really think about the bicycle and transit mode as an integrated mode, so you're designing your public transport networks while thinking about cycling, we see increased ridership, increased revenues, and reduced costs. So that's in general what the financial department is keen on to hear. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then when you think about this combination, one of the things that we hear from the Netherlands, because we're learning so much from you guys, is that if you combine transit and bikes, it's actually better than owning a car. Whereas if you just have transit or bikes, a car is really going to be a more attractive form of transportation. I agree there. And it's also a funny fact, by the way, if you look at the current users of the bicycle uh, train combination in the Netherlands, that many of them, I think over 60%, actually owns a car. 
So it's not that they are not able to drive a car, but they choose to use the bicycle train combination because it's a better option, apparently, than having a car. And I think that's a good thing. If your system attracts people out of their cars into your system, then apparently it's providing much more quality or level of service. But that's an interesting fact. And it's obvious public transport has its strengths and also cycling has its strengths, but they also have their weaknesses, I would say. And if you can combine both, if you can combine the flexibility of bicycles, the coverage you can get from point to point, from door to door with your bike, which is harder for a public transport service. If you combine the strengths of the bicycle with the strengths of public transport, being a fast connection, a reliable connection, a comfortable connection from point to point, then I think actually combining the best of both worlds yields more potential benefits than a car. Not in every origin destination pair, of course, but in general, especially in urban area, it really makes sense. Wow. So let me know if you know the answer to this. I mean, I'm sure you do, but we always hear about the percentage of trips in the Netherlands, 30% by bike, 30% by transit. Are there areas where you've maxed out the, I should say, non-car trips? And what does that look like? I don't think there is. I know that the Netherlands is famous for their cycling uh, culture. But if I look at the numbers, if I look at our country, I'm very proud of this cycling culture, by the way. But we are also somehow, you could say, car oriented. Still, the most kilometers driven in our country is done by car. So even in the Netherlands, and that might sound strange for many of you, but I think there's lots of potential to make improvements on the combined mode. We do have good examples, and I think you all see them if you visit the Netherlands, if bicycle parkings at the central stations in Amsterdam, for instance. But there's still quite some room for improvement. That's interesting. And so in your best city, what do the percentages look like? About the combined usage, you mean? Yes. Say Amsterdam or what city do you have the most trips made that are not made by car? Meaning the lowest trips by car. If you look at the trips in Amsterdam, internally in Amsterdam, it's about 40% bike usage. And it's approximately about 20% public transport usage and 30% car usage. And I wow. think Amsterdam, the best we can get. Do you think cities like LA and New York could get to Dutch level biking? I think at some point, but I think we should also be realistic. You cannot change these things overnight. I don't think you need to. It also took the Dutch quite some decades to get here, but it's never too late to make the first step and be aware that it wasn't like this in the Netherlands forever, neither. If you look back in the 70s, for instance, there were plans to create highways in the middle of the city of Amsterdam. Fortunately, they didn't happen, but it's not that the Netherlands was biking heaven forever, you could say, but we made progress there. And I think it's, it's never too late. First thing's First, I would say, so first start to guarantee safety of cyclists. I think that's the, the bare minimum. And that's a thing I tend to forget as a Dutch person if I talk about bicycle abroad, because we are used to a level of safety, which is comfortable for us, which is not at present in many other cities. So I think you will get there, but not tomorrow. That's Actually, my next question, and it's sort of a personal obsession of mine, is making biking 100% safe making it as safe as flying. And you are who we need to learn from the Dutch. But yeah, I'd love to hear, you know, the different categories of safety as you guys see it. I'm not a safety expert, I must say, as a disclaimer, but I think what's relevant to know is that for cyclists to plan for space for pedestrians, to think about cycling infrastructure, and also the same, of course, for public transport, I think that's one of the first steps. You will have to facilitate car traffic in a way, so do it smart, try to separate the big flows from the vulnerable flows. I think that's the first step. I remember when I was cycling in Berlin, I think, quite some time ago, and then we were allocated to the bus lane. 
and we were driving there on our bikes and we were followed by a double-decker bus. I don't think that's the way to convince people to jump on a bike because that's quite <laughs> scary, I can tell you, even for a Dutch cyclist. So I think it's about setting priorities because in the end, it's all about distributing and dividing funding, but also space. And that could mean, and I think we see quite some good examples due to COVID in many cities, that could mean that you allocate car-oriented space towards cycling paths or whatever. And that's a big step, but I think that's the step to make. Yes. And I know you live on a, I hope I say it right, a Wunuf. Wunuf? Yes, a Wunuf, yeah. Tell us about those. Yeah, it's a neighborhood area or a living area, if you translate it directly. And it's very convenient. I'm a father of three kids and two of them are quite small. So they're also cycling around in our neighborhood. And it's full of cars. So it's not that its cars are forbidden here, but it's designed in such a way that actually everyone, pedestrians, bikes, cars are similar. Also, given the rules of priority, maximum speed is 15 kilometers an hour, etc. So it's a very convenient place to also play. I'm totally fine if my son runs out the door on the streets because we know that there is a safe place to play, to cycle, etc. I think it's a very old-fashioned concept from the 70s or so. But on a personal note, I'm very excited to live in such a place with my children. Yes. So for American audiences, 15 kilometers is nine miles an hour, (laughs) which is great. I grew up in New York City, and as a kid in the 70s, the cars stopped for you. They were not going fast, and they famously stopped for us. So you felt safe all the time, and now I think the speed of the cars obviously is making all of us feel anxious and unsafe. True. I think that's also one of the dilemmas. Also in the Netherlands, I think we see that as well. If many children go to school by bike, but then this thing that people then take the car to bring them because it's not safe, creating the problem themselves actually. And that's a thing you actually need to turn around. So make it attractive for for cyclists, especially the young people. Everybody can cycle here because you start cycling when you're two or three or so. And this is the only way I think you get in the cycling culture like we have. Create a safe environment. Yeah, I think Americans, especially in LA, it's a Gordian knot because people want speed because they're stressed and they're stressed because there's traffic and there's traffic because it's inconvenient and unsafe to take other forms of transportation. So we've gotten ourselves into this conundrum and giving up speed on some streets feels like a necessary first step. Yeah, I think that's correct. And you need to do it sophisticated. So it's not that you reduce speed all over the place. You still have your highways and other roads where you can drive. It's only locally. This Wonerf is also a local thing. And I think this categorization, these multiple levels from highway on the upper level towards Wonerf on the lower level, I think that makes sense for city planners to have multiple levels in your street design and incorporating pedestrians and cyclists there and also public transport, of course, because you don't want to have public transport being stuck in traffic neither. So you can still provide a fast connection. Right. And one of the things that I know you guys are doing is trying to de-silo transit from bikes and see them as something that goes in combination. Is that something you're seeing happening in the Netherlands and around the world? Yes, I think so. I used to work at the transit operator myself some time ago. And I think decades or so ago, it was sort of competition. If you look at the urban area, you could say that the local public transport and bicycles are competing in a way. They're offering sort of the same speed. And what I see now happening 
maybe also because the increased attention to the environment, to the livability of our cities. Fortunately, people start to focus more on bicycle and transit being friends instead of enemies. Of course, there's still this interchange between them. But on the long world, I think you need both to come up with a sustainable society. So, and that's the thing. And I also see more integration in the planning itself. So you used to have a department of public transport, a department of cycling, and they are more cooperative or actually integrated. And that's a good thing. And from our perspective as a researcher, it's only five years or so that we actually started to investigate how does it work? Why is it a success? How could we improve it? Although cycling is quite old, the scientific research actually just started up. Wow. So when we think about transit and bikes and shared bikes, is there a sweet spot where how far apart the stops are and how far people will bike? Yeah, that's a good question, Lindsay. That's actually the critical question you could say with regard to the benefits of the combined mode with regard to public transport design. Because one of the main variables when designing public transport is about stopping distances. The closer the stops to each other, the easier it is to access public transport. But the slower the system comes, of course, if you stop at every tree, no car driver will transfer to a bus because it's so slow that it's might even better to walk all the way. And what we see regarding the catchment areas of stop, so how far are people willing to cycle? It's depending on many variables, of course. But what we see is in general in the Netherlands, we see for the first part, so the access part of the trip to train stations, people are willing in our country to cycle up to four kilometers. It's also good to know, by the way, that almost 50% of our train users in the Netherlands use a bike to get access to the stop, which I think is unbelievable. And if it's about local public transport, so bus, tram, metro kind of system, light rail systems, it's up to approximately three kilometers. And the interesting thing is that people are willing to cycle further if the quality is higher. So if the frequency is higher, if the service provider is higher. And what we found out in our research is that people are willing to approximately cycle twice as much to a stop that's providing a high level service. So think about a local bus versus a bus rapid transit system, or think about a light rail system or a metro system. So while designing these high level public transport systems, it's good to be aware that your catchment areas are actually quite big because of the quality. Also depending on the facilities at the stop. And that's actually what we like to find out and to learn about in our research to help planners and designers to come up with the optimal system. People will bike two and a half miles, it sounds like. Four kilometers? Yes, not everybody, depending on the service provided. So for trains, it's further than for bus services. And actually, before the interview, I was cycling with a shared bike from the university to the station. They took the train, then arrived at my home station, so to speak, and then cycled 50 minutes to my house. And that's actually the most convenient trip for me to get some practice, to get some reading done in the train. Quite competitive to the car traffic, I would say. I mean, it sounds magical because you're getting exercise, you're having quiet time, you're getting some reading done. <laughs> Yes, I must say that I actually also missed this commute while COVID was here and and everything was at home. I think University of Amsterdam showed that it was actually the cyclists and the public transport users who missed their commute mostly during COVID times. Well, they say that our happiest form of transportation is the bike. I totally agree. But I must say that from my house to my working place, it's too far to cycle. So I prefer the bicycle transit combination. Great. Well, thank you so much, Niels. This has been amazing. I hope it helps to design better public transport, better bicycle, but even better combined transit and bicycle networks. That's what we'd love to see.